Awesome. Hey, uh, Rockbridge, just, hey, before we uh, get rolling in our message, we're starting a new message series. We've got First Wednesday coming up, which is our great time every month to pray and take communion together. But hey, at all our campuses and those of you that are watching via online connections, I, I just want to ask us all to move into a posture of prayer. I think we've all been uh, shaken by the tragedy, the shooting in Texas, but a few weeks ago there was another shooting in Buffalo and it's just really hard to wrestle with that. But I feel like we, as, as, as the church here in America, we need to stand in the gap for folks that are hurting and grieving and folks that are asking questions. So if you don't mind, let's have a moment of silence, and I'll lead us in prayer after that. Please join with me. God, it's in moments uh, like these that, um, God, we just got questions, and, and we have hurt, and we have compassion, and we have confusion. So, Lord of lords and King of kings, please just remind us that what you unleashed at Calvary will eventually make all this right. And, God, I, I just have to leave it there, and I just want to pray God, for those who are mourning with an unspeakable pain right now, Lord, that in some supernatural way, uh, Lord, they could meet you, look to you, find peace that passes all understanding, find the hope of eternal life, the hope that you say doesn't disappoint, and experience in some way, God, your blood-drenched, cross-demonstrated, empty tomb-validated love. God, I pray for us as the people of God, because we have the hope, we have the message, we have the news that will eventually triumph over evil, triumph over Satan, triumph over sinfulness. So God, may we be propelled, compelled to live sent, and to share the news of what Christ you have done. So we just look to you, Jesus, as we open your word this weekend, this Memorial Day weekend. We also just want to say thank you for all the thousands upon thousands of sailors and soldiers, airmen and Marines who have died in the name of the United States of America, in the cause of liberty and freedom. And we want to say thank you for that because we can be here at church this weekend and worship in that freedom. So God, with all those things, we just invite you here in your mighty name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to say hello to you, my name is, uh, is Matt, one of the pastors on our team, and we're kicking off our summer series this weekend, and it's called WOW, right? And we're just going to go through Scripture and God's Word, and, and we're going to find things that just like wow us. And, and this weekend, I think it's appropriate, before we jump into God's Word together, I think it is appropriate for us to kind of have some wow, some amazement at some of the sacrifices 
that people throughout the ages of the United States have given for our nation. And, and there's a, just a few, I, I mean, we could go on and on, but I'm always reminded of this incredible picture of Marines at Iwo Jima. And when we see the, and we understand the fierce fighting that took place there, it's absolutely awe-inspiring, the sacrifice that these Marines uh, paid to, to free this island and move forward in World War II. Uh, if ever I get, need to get motivated or moved, I listen to Ronald Reagan's D-Day speech in 1984, where he describes the incredible valor of United States uh, soldiers and sailors, and in particular, rangers, as they climb these cliffs to begin to liberate the continent of Europe. It's incredibly moving uh, just to think about what the, the price that these Americans paid. And, and then we can go all the way back to President Lincoln as he gave the Gettysburg Address and stood on one of the battlefields where uh, thousands upon thousands of, of Americans paid the price to eventually reunite our nation and, 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 and move us closer to that more perfect union. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, and this is close to my heart. You know, I served in the military. I have a brother who still serves in the military. You know, the Im implicit in Memorial Day is that America is worth fighting for and that America is worth dying for. And, and I think that message somewhat is a little bit diluted. I think there's some people who don't feel proud to be an American. And, and, and listen, we're not a perfect nation, and we've gotten a lot of things wrong uh, and, and so I just want to stop for a minute, though, and I, I think we do need to remind ourselves that there are some things that are exceptional about the United States of America. And, and really, when we look at that, we, we, not, we look at it in terms of what I would call American ideas that were really kind of untested and untried until this nation formed in the late 1700s. The idea that, that, um, that individual liberty matters and that we are free people and we should be free from oppression. We should be, we should be free to pursue, to live in justice and, and also that our liberty is ordered. Our founders were not after chaos of everyone just doing whatever they wanted. It's an ordered liberty. And, and from that, they recognized we needed a limited government with checks and balances. They recognized that we have a sin nature and that if we took, put too much power in one person's hands, that's ultimately not going to be good for the cause of liberty. And then, yes, our, our nation was founded with a, with a sense of morality and a, and a Judeo-Christian, based on a Judeo-Christian foundation. We recognize that. We see that in the writings. And, and these ideas are, at the time, they were somewhat incredibly exceptional. And, and, the, and the beautiful thing about that is we see that when those ideas, those exceptional ideas, they have led to kind of what I would just call unique moments and seasons of flourishing. And when I use the word flourishing, I'm using a biblical concept that if we understand God's original intention as given to Adam and Eve in the garden and how he blessed and how he commissioned them to represent him, God wanted his creation to flourish, to prosper, to enjoy what he gave them, and then to represent him to the ends of the earth. And then we rebelled and we created brokenness and we created a world that was not ordered the way God structured it, and then God is coming back, and he's restoring that. He's a God of restoration. Now, the beautiful thing also about America, though, is that these ideas 
liberty, limited government, justice have been our true north to lead us away from injustice and toward a more perfect union. That even when our, our founders got things wrong, like slavery, even when we've gotten things wrong, like how women were treated, e even in, in that, we could appeal to these ideas. Martin Luther King Jr., in the era of segregation and Jim Crow, we could appeal to these ideas, and they became true north that moved us out of maybe a, a less than ideal union, and as Lincoln said, toward a more perfect union. And I think on Memorial Day, we ought to appreciate that and see that. But I want to move it into a little bit of a Christian perspective, okay? And here, the question that I want us to ask is we talk about this weekend how people have militarily fought, died, sacrificed for this nation. Uh, how do Christians fight for America? Or how do Christians in America fight for America, for their country? What does that even look like? And, and, and I think it's healthy to talk about it, and, and we'll, come, we'll come across an incredible wow as we get into God's Word. Now, let me say a couple of things. I do fundamentally believe it is right for us as Christ followers to fight for where God has placed us to live and where God has put us. I don't think apathy and indifference, isolation and separation are the answers. Now, the challenge that the church is having is how does the church fight? Do we fight solely through political means, the economic means? Do we just isolate, holy huddle, and wait for the rapture? How do we fight? And I, and I think there's some incredible insights that Jesus gives us as he prays one of his longest prayers, one of his greatest prayers, and it's the prayer that he offers in John 17. And it's an incredible prayer. He's getting ready to leave his disciples, and there's so many insights in this prayer for how we are to be in the world, how we are to be in our homeland, if you will, and, and what his reasonings are for that. So let's join Jesus in John 17, and, and we'll talk through this together. It begins the Word of God. It says, I am no longer in the world but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. So he is getting them ready, and he's praying to the Father to get the, the disciples, the church, if you will, that he's going to leave behind, to get them ready to exist in his physical absence. He says, Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. So we need protection so this tells us something that the world is not our home. This tells us something that there's going to be a fight, that there's a challenge that we face. He says, hey, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you've given me. So, Father, when I leave them, I want them to still be protected. And as we looked at in our last series, that protection is mostly from deception against the truth of his word. He says, I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas who betrayed him so that the scripture may be fulfilled, so that your word might be fulfilled. So he's interested in protecting them, but then he's going to purpose them. So God is not just about protecting his people. He has a purpose for his people, and he's going to move into that now. He says, Father, now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they, the ones I'm leaving behind, 
my, they may have my joy completed in them. Very significant in the text. He's talking about Jesus' joy, supernatural joy, okay? Not earthly, not worldly joy. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See, I, I, I think Christians are struggling, with, especially Christians in America, but we're struggling because we've sort of lost home field advantage. And we're struggling that Christian ideas or Christian values or biblical truth don't seem to have as much of a reception or aren't as welcomed or aren't as wanted or aren't as desired as maybe as they were when you even grew up in your own lifetime or certainly your parents' or your grandparents' lifetime. And, and, and Jesus would say we should not be surprised by that. Okay, we should not be surprised by that. He goes on. He says, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. And I, I always ask our church, when, I, when we started our church 20 years ago, I always asked our church this question. If the whole purpose of being a Christian is to go to heaven when you die, then why, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, does God not right then just beam you up, Scotty? Why are we left behind? And, and, and that's, that goes back to the original question. How do we fight? Because we're left behind, not just to be protected, but to be purposed for something. So he says, I, I, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I want you to protect them from the evil one. We looked at a whole series on him. Last series we just did, deception, truth against truth, etc. But he says, they are not of the world. He's talking about you and me by extension, the Christ followers, the church. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them different than the world by your truth. God, your word is truth. So as we get into his word and his word gets into us, we become different. We become countercultural. We look different. We have different values. We're salt. We're light. Jesus said that's what Jesus said is, is part of his purpose for us. And then he says this incredible, incredible sentence that we get one of our descriptors of what we're supposed to be about in the world. We use six words to define a Christ follower, six words to describe what a disciple, a student, an apprentice of Jesus Christ does. We use the words, we're to love God. We love him back. He first loved us in the gospel. We love him back. We're to love others with the love he's loved us with. Love others. And we're to live sent. We represent him. Here's where we get that language. As you sent me, Jesus is talking, into the world. As the Father sent the Son into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So here's the tension that we feel as Christians in America. We are not of it, but we're sent into it. So how are we to be in the world, but not of it? And Jesus answers this question, and we're going to talk through that with some guiding truths that he gives us. The first one is this. We have got to understand that we are not entitled to special status in the world or in America or from the world or from America. We cannot be entitled Christians or think that we have some special status. Christians in America do not understand how persecuted Christians are outside of America. Uh, 
And, and now that there is some degree of persecution or hostility or, 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 or indifference toward Christianity, some of us are reacting to the loss of special status. I would simply say, biblically speaking, we've never been promised special status. In fact, it's helpful that we understand America is not our true home. That the moment we become born again and come under the King of kings and Lord of lords, our citizenship goes to heaven. And we eagerly await for a Savior from there, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's helpful to think of our identity in the world as ambassadors. Ambassadors, we know that. Like if you're an ambassador of the United States, but you live in Spain or you live in England, you are in a country that is not your home country, but you represent the interest of that your country in this other country. So we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent Christ here on earth, here in America, since God is doing something, he's making his appeal, but he's doing it through us. Secondly, we are, not, we are not in the world to find joy. When Christians begin looking to the world as their joy source, we stop looking different from the world. Jesus said what? They would have his joy. Where did Jesus get his joy from? Did he get it because everybody liked him? No, they crucified him. Did he get it from his special status? No, he was born in a manger and he hung naked on a cross for six hours on a Friday. Jesus got his joy from the special relationship he had within the Trinity, which is our joy as we're adopted into his family. And so when Christians are guided, motivated by worldly joy, whether that's materialistic joy, whether that's hedonistic joy, or any other joy but the joy of the Trinity, then we quit looking different from the world, and we must look different from the world because we're sent into the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus' words. <clears throat> we move on, and we, say, we see this. We must not see the fight, and we are fighting, we must not see the fight in purely political, economic, or relational battle lines. This is how the news media wants us to see the fight. This is maybe how the sector of the economy that you work in wants you to see the fight. Because what it does is we start looking at everything as us versus them, us versus them, and it's us versus them politically. It's us versus them economically. Relationships deteriorate. We only want to be around people like us, think like us, vote like us, look like us, make the same kind of money we have, same education we have, and that's not the vision of Jesus. In fact, I understand that sometimes we get mad as, church, as the church, we get mad as Christians, and we get mad at people. Let me just say this, okay? We should never get mad at lost people for acting like lost people. Let me say that again. We should never get mad at lost people for acting like lost people. We've got to think about that. So let's not get mad at Disney. Disney's not a Christian company. Let's not get mad at some person who's not claiming Christ as Lord and Savior. We have compassion on them because we know they need him. So just understand that. 
Another guiding truth is this. We are not in the world, though, to compromise or distort the truth of God's Word. There are Christians who compromise the authority of Scripture. There are Christians, so-called, or churches, so-called, who, who compromise. because Either we minimize it, we ignore it, oh, that doesn't apply to me, or there's compromise going on because of lack of integrity and in interpretation of the Word of God. There are churches who are redefining marriage, redefining biology, redefining human sexuality, and there is, you can believe that, but you cannot believe that and believe the Word of God. There is no integrity in that. If I take Paul's words and twist Paul's words to make them say what I want them to say, if, that's not what Paul meant to say when he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's a lack of integrity. Right, So if we're Christians under the authority of Scripture, we cannot distort, we cannot compromise. But then Jesus says something to, when he's praying to the Father. He says this. He says, sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them look more different. Progressively change them. So they look, sanctification is us becoming more and more like Jesus. So we have to embrace that a big part of us is sanctification. It's a major part or a major priority and part of our major strategy. So, so before we, you know, look to a political solution or any other thing like that, we've got to address that a priority of Jesus is that the church needs to look more like Jesus. And the church is made up of people like you and me. So sanctification is a major priority and it is a major part of our strategy. And, and, and then Jesus talks about his own sanctification, if you will. Listen to what he says. I sanctify myself for them. Now, what does he mean? He's perfect. It means the Father set him apart to send him into the world to live a different mission so we could be redeemed, we could be adopted, and then we could become ambassadors. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. And so that's Jesus talking about himself and that we are to be sanctified similarly. And then he says this, and he starts praying for you and I. He's talking to the 12, and they're over here in this prayer. And then he starts praying for you and I. He says, I pray not only for these, the, the 12, or the, the 12 minus Judas, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that the 12 start telling the word of Jesus, and the 12 grows on the first day of Pentecost to 3,000, right? And then the church multiplies and grows by sharing this word, and the church multiplies and grows by sharing this word, and so that you and I here in America have this word. So sanctification, the setting apart of people, supports Jesus' mission, that we are sent into the world as ambassadors. Now, we are to be in but not of the world the same way Jesus was in but not of the world. And the beautiful thing when we get into the heart of Jesus, please hear me, is that Jesus was for the world. I mean, isn't that one of the verses maybe we see at the you know, ball fields and we, for God so loved the world, right? So Jesus was for the world. We are to be for the world. And, and I love how this even gets expressed in Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jews were sent into exile. They became exiles in a foreign land. Remember, it's not our home. 
right? And so they go here, and God tells them, he said, I want you to seek the welfare. That word is literally flourishing or shalom, Hebrew word for the general overall peace of humanity. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now listen, this city they were in is a pagan city. This city where they're in does not fear Yahweh. They don't have the Ten Commandments. They're not God's chosen people, but God is a missionary God. God is for the world. God is for us. And so he says, as my chosen people to the Jews, I want you to be for the city that I've put you in. That's amazing, right? And so if I were to just summarize that, all everything we've just talked about and say, okay, how are we to fight for the United States of America? We're honoring those who have fought militarily. We should, and we honor that sacrifice. As Christ followers, if we care about our cities, if we care about our country, if we care about our neighborhoods, how should we fight? There is a fight. How do we do that? And what is Jesus saying? If you summarize it all, and I'll, give you, I'll give you this in the form of a wow question. Here's the question that ought to drive us as a church. This is the question that drove us 20 years ago to start this church. Now, I want you to think about it. Before I show you the question, think about why people choose to go to the churches they go to. And then here's the question. How do I, how do we, how does the church help people believe the message of Jesus? They will believe in me through your word. How does the church, how does Matt Evans, how do you, how do you, how do we, Rockbridge Community Church, help people believe the message of Jesus? That has got to be the driving dominant question that we pray, that we wrestle with, that we seek the Lord's face for. It, it is not how do we get student ministry to look exactly like I want it to for my kids. It is not how do we sing more songs that I like to sing. It is not how do we make this more comfortable and how do we scratch my preferences. It is none of those things. It is not consumeristic. It is not selfish. How do I, how do you, how does this church, how do we help more people believe the message of Jesus Christ? Because that is the hope people need. That is the joy people need. That is the peace people need. That is the life people were created to have. We must see that. Now, into that question, into that question, there's some things we have to keep in mind. But I want us to feel this for a minute, okay? Because you and I are asking the same question everybody's asking. How does something like buffalo happen? Where a guy is tainted by racist ideology and goes into a predominantly African-American neighborhood to an predominantly an, a, a grocery store predominantly visited by African-Americans and indiscriminately shoots and kills people because they are black. How does a gunman go into an elementary school kill kids in the fourth grade.
And then what do we do about it? I was in a meeting with some community leaders, and, and you know, we were talking about a community issue. And, you know, everybody's got their ideas and stuff. And, and, and I'm not even going to talk about what the issue was. But I was in that meeting, and I just started, I, just, I think it was a little bit of, I'm praying into this, so I'll let you pray into this with me. But I was sitting there, and I was like, I just felt like maybe the Holy Spirit whispered something to me. And, and I think it was, we've got to have revival. More than we've got to have our candidate in office. We've got to have the Holy Spirit sweep through our churches and through our land. And revival has to start in Christians and churches who are revived about the gospel of Jesus Christ and our purpose in the world. So with that, let's just talk about this, this wow question. A couple of things. As one who has been sent by Jesus... I must simultaneously do three things. I must trust God's sovereignty. Yes, God is large and in charge. I can't make things happen. I can't make anybody believe in Jesus Christ and give, their steering, give the steering wheel of their lives to him. I can't do that. And we've got to understand that. We have a responsibility as sent ones. We have a responsibility. As we said 20 years ago, the local church is God's plan A. There ain't no plan B. It's us sharing the word of Jesus. It's us living more Christ-like yet tomorrow than we did today. So, but, I, but I have to trust his sovereignty. I can't make revival happen. I, I can't change a human being's heart. I can't give someone hope and peace and joy that passes all understanding. I can't do any of those things. I can share about it. I can pray for it. But God's sovereignty, God's spirit, and, and some mixture of what's going on inside of their heart has to cooperate with this news that we share. But I cannot ignore my responsibility. And then I must live intentionally. I must live intentionally. I'm an ambassador. Ambassadors have to live intentionally in, in the foreign land. But I also have to live expectantly. I, we have to live expectantly. And what I mean by that is our message, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the message of the good news can free someone from bondage. The message of the gospel can liberate someone from addiction. The message of the gospel can help someone overcome the throngs of severe depression or severe anxiety. The message of the gospel can take a terrorist like Saul of Tarsus and transform him into a pastor, preacher, missionary, and writer of half of our Bible or half of our New Testament. That's the message we have. Do we expect that message to have that effect? Do we pray for that message to have that effect? Do we share that message with the hopes that it would have that effect. So we have to recapture a little bit of the expectancy that comes from the gospel. I, I was sitting here as we were singing a song, and, and, and I need to be revived, excuse me, <coughs> in the gospel. I need to be revived in it. And we're singing some of these songs and these lyrics that are gospel-centered lyrics. And I'm reminded of how God saved me. And I'm reminded of that. And I need that reminder. 
Because at the end of the day, when we look inside the evil that can exist in our own hearts, the greatest miracle is that to me is that God saved me. And if he can save me, by golly, I believe he can save anyone, right? So we live, yeah, we trust his sovereignty, but we live with expectancy, intentionality, embracing our responsibility. So I'm going to give you four questions just to guide us in this. Here's the first question. How do I treat and interact with people to help them to believe the message of Jesus Christ? How do I treat and interact with people to help them believe the message of Jesus Christ? We have an, under, uh, an understanding that we have to treat people the way Jesus treated people. We have to talk to people the way Jesus talked to people. We have to represent him on social media. We have to represent him at work, at home. Now, And listen to me say this, okay? Politicians who invoke the name of Jesus without exhibiting the character of Jesus are a problem. And we cannot be blind to that. We need Christian men and women to run for office. We need Christian men and women to run businesses. We need Christian men and women to go into teaching, go into coaching, go into counseling, go into health care. We need that. But we have to go into that with the intention that we represent King Jesus. So please hear me. We got to have pastors that represent the character of Jesus. Second question. How do I steward my place, my position, my platform to help people believe the message of Jesus? How do I steward where God has put me in his sovereignty to help people Believe the message of Jesus Christ. And, and, and for so many people, for so many people, right, this is not what you do. It's just how you do what you do, right? So, some of you know this, and I'll just confess. Some of you know this. I, 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 I'm on the a board of education, so I'm in an elected position. Uh, for some reason, you know, uh, my peers made me the chair. I don't know if that was a blessing or what, but... And, and I, 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 came, I, I was leading a meeting a couple months ago, and I allowed the discourse to become uncivil and disrespectful and, uh, and in my world, your world, unchristlike. I got to feel that. What we were talking about was spot on. How we started talking about it was not. So I had to come under conviction, and I had to go and make an apology. And, and I, and I got to be real, because we forget, right? We forget, because it's so easy, man, I got to go to work to make money. First, you got to go to work to be an ambassador, right? And we just forget. So let's just, we're just being called back to our calling, right? That's what this is about. We're being called back to our calling. Third question. How do, I review, how do I view and respond to current events and issues in order to help people believe in the message of Jesus? How, how do I do that? And that requires thinking. 
That, listen to me. Listen, I need everybody to pay attention. This does not come from a soundbite on somebody's Twitter feed. I have to think with the mind of Christ. I have to look at the issues that are facing our country, our community, that are coming on the news feed, that people are feeling, that people are talking about. I have to take some time to pray into that, to think into that. I confess to you, I need to do a better job to help you in that regard, to help disciple us, to understand how do we look at race? How do we look at sanctity of life issues? How do we look at immigration? How do we look at tragedies such as natural disasters, such as the murders that have occurred in, 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 two, in, our, in our nation here in the region? So, so I got to do better on that. But we have to be committed that everything we do, how do I help people believe the message of Jesus Christ? And, and, then, and then finally, how do I speak and stand for the truth of the God's word in a way that helps people believe in Jesus Christ? Not, God's sovereignty, not everybody's going to. We got Sometimes the truth does sting. Sometimes the truth is going to offend people and people will walk away. So, but the question is, I want them to walk away because of the truth, not because of how I shared the truth. See the difference? So, so we're just wrestling with this and praying into this. Now, I think I just want to share one opportunity that we have coming up. Because for the first time in American history, we've got a new, or not, not for the first time, but there's a new federal holiday coming up in the month of June. It's called Juneteenth. It's, it's the date of June, and it happened on the 19th. And, and this is an example of what I'm talking about. It's a federal holiday. So what happened on June 19th, 1865 is a, a Union general, his name was General Granger, goes to Galveston, Texas, and the, 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 the African-Americans, the slaves in Texas, did not know they had been emancipated by President Lincoln two years before in 1863. So the war is over, and they have not yet received news that they are free. And so Juneteenth is the celebration that free people have learned that they're free. Now, here's the beauty of this, that we can look at this holiday coming up in a couple of weeks, and we can look at it as Americans, but we can also look at it as Christian Americans, all right? So, so let me help us on that, okay? So as Americans, Juneteenth is a celebration that our true north ideas, that people should exist in liberty, that those ideas are, are we're progressing toward that more perfect union. So as American, as an American who loves our exceptional ideas, right, that we talked about earlier, those are being shared with, uh, with people and liberty is expanding to, to, to freed slaves. So as Americans, we're going to pause on Juneteenth and celebrate that as a progress toward a more perfect union. So that's awesome, and that, that should make us proud of our American heritage, proud that those ideas that, that started our country are, are moving forward in our country, our true north. Now, as Christian Americans, the beautiful thing about Juneteenth is multiple because General Granger had news that people needed to hear that changed their life. As a Christian, don't we have news that people need to hear that will change their lives? 
that Jesus has done something for people. And what he's done for people is achieved a way for us to be made right with God, adopted into his family, become citizens of his kingdom, ambassadors in his name, and have eternal life with him. And, and as Christians, we also celebrate that Jesus is building a church, a kingdom from every ethnic group, from every tribe, from every tongue, and that the church is diverse and that one day we'll all stand around the throne, yellow, brown, black, white, everything under the sun, and we'll praise the name of Jesus. And so when, when, when we see our nation taking progr making progress in, toward racial justice and racial equality, we're not there yet. We celebrate that because we see glimpses of the kingdom of Jesus in that. Because in the kingdom of Jesus, we are all equal. In the kingdom of Jesus, we are all made in the image of God. In the kingdom of Jesus, his blood is for anyone who would profess him as Lord and Savior. In the kingdom of Jesus, the, foot, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. So as Christian Americans, we have even more reason to get excited about something like Juneteenth. And that's how we represent him, or one example. Because people are going to be talking about it. Hey, I get a day off. Why am I getting a day off? And, and we got a double reason to talk about it. As Americans, yes. As Christians, yes. Now, I just want to close with a wow thought, all right? I, this is what our series is all about. I just want to close with wow. And, and, I, and I just, I mean, this one right here gets me up in the morning. When I forget about it, I don't want to get up in the morning. But here's the wild thought, okay? Go, let's go back to our text, John 17, okay? Jesus is getting ready to leave physically. There's no more physical Jesus that's going to be left on earth. He's getting ready to go back home, quote, unquote, with the Father. And so here, here's the thought. When it comes to the mission of God, physical Jesus is not better than a gospel-centered spirit-filled, mission-driven Christian, and their unified and mobilized, gathered and scattered local church. Let's not think this here is one hour a week. Let's not think the church is just about me and you and you get your way or Matt gets his. Let's not think that. Let's think that when it comes to the mission of God of giving hope to hopeless people and peace to people who are stressed and joy that the world can't steal or rob or take away, when it comes to the mission of God of people getting going from death to life, being reconciled to a holy God, living in eternity with him, when it comes to the mission of God, physical Jesus is not better than a gospel-centered, spirit-filled, mission-driven Christian and their unified, mobilized, gathered and scattered local church. We are the people of God. Wow. God, thank you for letting us be a part of this. Thank you for being let us a part of this. I want us all to stand up, read the Word of God together, and feel a commissioning to live sent as the people of God. If you're able to, all campuses, all locations, please stand. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's good that I leave. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you so you and I can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In John 20, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We pray together in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person that's standing. God, we're standing, I pray, in agreement with your word. We're standing to say, God, sanctify me. Make me look more like Jesus in my marriage, in my family, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my job, in my elected position, in my appointed position, in my club, on my sports team. Sanctify me. Make me look more like, like, look more like you. And God, send me. God, send me. You've, you got, you've given me news that is worthy to be shared. God, you've given me a life that's positioned providentially under your sovereignty. Today, God, I want to embrace my responsibility. I want to live intentionally and live expectantly. God, we're Rockbridge Community Church. We're not, a ch we're not like Walmart, just where you come and get what you need and go. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a passion for the name of Jesus. God, fill us with your spirit afresh, and may we live sent for your glory. May we live sent to give hope to a world that needs it. May we live sent to share peace and joy with a world searching desperately for it. And that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, as all God's people said, amen.